Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, friends. I'm Lonnie. Today we have a very special guest, a very old friend of mine, uh, Reverend Ed Biskel, a missionary, a pastor, and many other titles. And uh, you'll get acquainted with him in a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about reminding you about this age and himself so that you'll appreciate more what we're going into today. We've spoken to you many times about a special message at the end time and how that God is going to unveil the mysteries of God in the last days. And we know from the many, many scriptures, many of which we've rehearsed with you before, that the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. So God had to, in restoration, send a prophet. And in that sending of a prophet, it has to be from the scripture, from the Bible. Otherwise, he's just another man with another opinion of what's going on in the world today. But when God sends a man, he thoroughly vindicates, I am with this man. So consequently, I wanted to talk to you just a moment. Now, God uses this spirit of Elijah five times. Spirit of Elijah we're talking about now, five times. We find that it came on Elijah, Elisha. We know from scripture it came on John the Baptist. And I'll jump one. And in Revelation chapter 11, we see the works of Elijah and Moses in a ministry when God turns his heart back to the Jews again. But in between those two is a ministry of an Elijah to this age to forerun the second coming of the Lord, to forerun what he himself called the coming word. And so we can divide between these two. I took the time to print out from my computer so that we could divide because most people uh, tie together the scriptures that apply to Elijah of this age, William Branham, and the Elijah that came earlier, which was John the Baptist. So let me read to you just a few here now. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight a desert, a highway for our God. So now our first word I want you to watch now, the word is prepare. Elijah was going to come and prepare. And then we find many scriptures that refer to the concept that John came to prepare the way of the Lord because something new was coming. Then we're going to find other scriptures, as I will read them to you in a moment, that there were, the word there is restore. So restore is not getting ready for something new. Restore is take us back to something that was lost and bring us back to it. So the next one then would be in Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. So now we, Isaiah prophesied it, and then here's the New Testament testifying John fulfilled that. He was the preparer. Mark tells us the same thing in Mark 1, verse 2. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Ties it to John, John the Baptist. And then in Luke 3, 4, as it is written, in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And we're right back to John the Baptist again. 
And then in John 1.19, here's where it gets a little confusing, but let's focus on it just a moment. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So he didn't deny he was anointed, but I'm not the Christ you're looking for. So that's why he confessed, but denied not. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. And I'll tell you why in a moment, why he said that. Are you that prophet? And of course, Moses had spoken in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet likened unto me. He knew what they were asking. That was Deuteronomy 18:15, And so he says, no, I'm not that one. So they said, who are you? And then he quotes Isaiah again, that he is that, that voice in the wilderness. Now here we watch the transition scripture. It's Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Catch that now. John did not come before the dreadful day of the Lord. We could call it a great day, but it wasn't the dreadful day of the Lord. That's going into the tribulation, the judgments of God. The, the day of the Lord is the day of wrath. If you just put, quote, day of the Lord, if you've got a computer and run it through, it'll bring up judgment and wrath of God being poured out on earth. Then this Elijah, now verse 6, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And we find in Luke 1.17 that that's ascribed to John the Baptist. And then it says, and the heart of the children to their fathers. Now, now here's another group that their heart is going to be turned to the fathers. This is not parent-child relationships. This is the children of God in a certain age are going to be taken, that word restore again, back to the gospel that Paul preached, the apostolic fathers and their, their gospel. <clears throat> and then in Matthew 17, 10, and his disciples asked him, saying, after they had seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, why then say the scribes Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things, notice future tense, restore, shall restore all things. Now that's a new word. We've seen prepare, now it's restore. And then the next verse, but I say unto you, Elijah is come already. So John the Baptist with the spirit of Elijah came, but now, but there is one to come who will restore. So before the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord, God uses that same Elijah spirit to prepare or restore, both, both ways. There's many connotations in, invo involved here. There's many more that I've got here, but just to remind you now of 1 Corinthians 4.15, for though you have 10,000 instructors, Paul says, in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So that's where we catch the idea that of the apostolic fathers. And so in this Elijah ministry that was to come, God would obviously have to do something very, very special to call the attention of the people to this ministry. And Ed Biskell, that's here with us in the studio today, was an eyewitness to much of this. I was not. I became aware of this Elijah ministry just five months after Brother Branham passed away, though I had heard before, but I had no understanding who he was, just at a very 
supernatural ministry. But Brother Ed was uh, graced, privileged to see, the, see this prophet in operation and this ministry in operation and spend personal time uh, uh, with him on hunts as well as the more religious things. And so, Brother Ed, I'd like to ask you, what was the sequence of events? Because I know you were a very young man when you were first exposed to this ministry. What was the sequence of events, if you can reach back and tell us, that began to lead you to this concept that this was more than a normal anointed ministry? I guess, uh, Brother Lonnie, I would have to start at uh, an early age of 14. It was uh, when I was 14, there was a series of meetings that were taking place. And of course, I had never heard of the name William Branham. There uh, was a lot of ministries which were uh, rising at that time. And uh, my father and my uh, mother stopped to take these services in. Uh, it was during those meetings that I saw a blind girl, and I was just very close to the front of the auditorium. There was about six or 8,000 people there. And the man who had introduced William Branham was Earn, Reverend Ern Baxter, and he said that this gift had come by a visitation of angels or an angel of the Lord. And that really caught my attention. That night, I saw that girl right before my eyes healed. I saw her eyes straighten out, and she was looking straight into the audience. At that time, Brother Lonnie, I became aware in my young heart that this ministry was very different from any other that I had witnessed having grown up in a Christian home. Then some years later, I became a minister. I had been <laughs> ministering about uh, seven years. And during that time, uh, it was a, a revival of restoration which was really spreading throughout the world. So the supernatural, miracles of all kinds, those things were quite in abundance. Now, Brother Ed, what was the time sequence? What date are we talking well, about? Well, we are speaking now from 1948, 1958. Oh, yeah. Big revival time. That's a big revival time. Right. And there are many names which are familiar today which came on the scene during that time. And in fact, uh, many of them had their beginnings really with the ministry of Brother Branham. He was considered an initiator of that great revival. Can I interrupt you? I remember on a radio broadcast that you did, you quoted from a book by Edwin Harrell, which I took the time to, uh, to get. Would you mind just reading to the people? I've got it marked there for you because you used it on a broadcast. I'd be delighted because uh, I thought that Professor Harrell put it in uh, such a succinct manner when he said these words. Uh, incidentally, uh, he put William Branham and Orr Roberts as the first two uh, originators and the two giants of this revival. Now, well, the, somebody the, had to spark the revival. Someone had to be the did. torch. Right. And he did say that most of the people involved in that revival, in that great move of God which spread all over the earth, most of them considered William Branham as the initiator. Yeah. And he was the torch. He was the torch which lit their, 
made their firebrands uh, set aflame. And he said this of him, Branham seemed an unlikely leader. He had long been a pastor in a small independent Baptist church. He was introduced to the Pentecostal world by the despised oneness Pentecostals. His preaching was halting and simple beyond belief, but William Branham became a prophet to a generation. That was the phrase that really struck my heart. Uh, when I read uh, a man who wasn't not necessarily a follower uh, of William Branham or any of these ministries, uh, but he has described in a very brief few sentences what was happening. And I traveled in uh, evangelistic work in Canada, United States. I found that there was a great deal of confusion amongst the ministry, uh, amongst basic things, Consequently, I didn't have a clear understanding of very simple things such as baptism or the Godhead, and and I had good friends on, you know, that had various beliefs in that regard. But as far as the supernatural was concerned, there was a proliferation of that happening at that time. Now, you, but you you yourself were ministering in Pentecostal circles. In many Pentecostal circles. And so you were seeing other supernatural than that of William Branham. Correct but yet something made William Branham stand above the rest. That's what I'm interested in. None of them, none of them had not only the declaration that an angel of the Lord, which William Branham said, right. was the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And there was a presence, and there were people from all walks of life, journalists, commentators, people who wrote articles and magazines, uh, they declared that there was a presence, a most unusual presence that would come down in those meetings. Not only that, William Branham, he did and said things uh, that caught the attention of the people and no one else did that. For example, and I sat in the meetings and he would come to the platform, uh, six, eight, 10,000 people, and many more in other countries say, how do you do, friends? And he would speak to the people for a few moments. And then there'd just be a, a movement. He'd raise his hand and say, I take every spirit in this building under my control for the glory of God. Brother Lonnie, it was just like a sacred hush fell over the people. Mm. It was whether they were critics, whether they were uh, denominational ministers from all denominations, and they sat behind them on the platform, there was such a quietness. But the thing that really set his ministry aside was the revealing of the secrets of the hearts of the people. And even in my young ministry, and those men that I fellowshiped with, we readily recognized this was a prophet of God because his ministry, he didn't have to come and say he was. His ministry and what he did was a prophetic ministry. At first, I must say, we were enamored with the fact that it was such a glorious, it was so accurate, it was so perfect. We didn't see this in other ministries. We saw great things happening, but not with the precision and the accuracy 
person after person, they would line up Brother Lonnie and one person after the other, tell them in detail, even to their house number and their name My. over and over again. And he would, some, in some cases, tell them what their real name was, but say, they call you this, mm. and give them the name that they're known by in the, by the family. Mm. Such precision, and that is what caught my attention. But I would have to say that even all of the supernatural did not answer spiritual questions. Mm, right. And it was not until uh, some years later that I had an opportunity to actually meet and be with Brother Branham for two weeks. And then I had the privilege also of setting up meetings for him. We set up four meetings, three days each, sat on the platform, saw people who I knew, and I knew that he did not know them. He gave the details of their lives, of their sickness, of their disease, and it was just a, a marvelous, marvelous time. But it was my privilege to be able to speak to him then uh, concerning some questions which I had in my heart mm -hmm. and have those answered by the scriptures. Okay, now hold, on, hold your thought right there, Brother Ed. I just want to mention something to the, to the viewing audience. When, when a prophet of God can stand and tell you who you are, where you're from, what your sins were, or whether you're healed or not healed, it's not to exalt the man William Branham and say, oh, what a super duper he is. That's not the concept. The prophet speaks what God puts in his mouth. So the concept is God knows your name, God knows your address, God knows your sickness, God knows what you have need of. And that would be the primary, one of the reasons God would send a prophet and do such a thing to let you know God knows, God cares. And, it, and it's, so it's not to uh, exalt the prophet per se, it's to make God big and mighty in our, in our midst. And this ministry for me has surely done that. Please continue on, Brother Ed. It has done exactly the same for me. And I'd like to tell you and tell the listening audience where that had its beginnings and the questions that were so, uh, so much on my heart and so deep on my heart. And I had many, many godly friends, minister friends, uh, that were unable to really answer some very fundamental questions. And... What was taking place, Brother Lonnie, was I, I begin to see a decline. I begin to see uh, the, the supernatural was present, but the lives of the people, and I'm including ministers, was not comparable to the Word of God, and it troubled me. I was very fervent about the Scriptures. I loved the Word, and when I would view men's lives and see that they could prophesy or perhaps speak in tongues or exercise gifts, but their life did not line up with the word. That troubled me very, very deeply. That was my first question to Brother Branham. And I asked him, I said, how can men be anointed? I said, I know what the anointing is and I can sense that they are anointed. How can they be anointed 
and then their lives not line up with the Word of God. And Brother Lonnie, true to a prophet's ministry, he didn't, he didn't try to preach me a sermon. He went directly to the Scripture immediately. Mm-hmm. And he said, have you never read that the rain falls on the just and the unjust? And mm-hmm. I said, yes, I certainly have. I've read it many times out of Matthew's Gospel. He asked me, what is the rain? I said, well, in the Scriptures, the rain speaks of the Spirit. He said, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I wasn't catching it yet. Mm -hmm. But he said, now, the wheat and the tares, they grew together in the same field. He said, Brother Eddie, you tell me what nurtured the wheat? What did the wheat rejoice in? And I will tell you what nurtured the tares. And they grew so close together that the disciples said, should we take up the tares? No. Mm, right. Don't take up the tares until the end time. In the end time, the tares and the wheat would manifest. Now I begin to see they were growing in the same field, enjoying the same, the same environment, but were not of the same seed. And then he went to a third scripture, which was very, very powerful for me. And he asked for my participation. He said, when the, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, Peter stood up and said that the, the Spirit of God shall fall upon all flesh, all flesh, but not all flesh is, sa- is saved. Mm-hmm. And when I begin to see that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and the wheat and the tares are growing in the same field. I, I can only tell you that a thousand of my questions were suddenly answered. My exact same experience for me when Brother Branham preached that sermon on anointed ones at the end time. And the, the era of Pentecost I was growing up in they used to have the saying, God would never put his Holy Spirit on an unclean vessel. But I was seeing the same thing you were seeing, unclean lives, but anointed. And uh, I was just as confused. What is this? But a prophet's message straightened the whole thing out. Con- and and there, are two other, there are two other examples that I think would be really valuable for the, yeah. uh, your viewers, and that is Judas, Right. Which was one of the twelve. And he went with the twelve, preaching everywhere. And they came back rejoicing the great things that (coughs) had taken place and miracles had taken place. And he was right with Jesus, carrying the bag right through uh, into the communion table at the Last Supper and uh, then was manifested. Mm -hmm. Then Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, prophesied that one must die for the people. Mm -hmm. The prophecy was correct. And he was the high priest. He prophesied, but he certainly wasn't of the correct seed. Right, the the scripture says because he was high priest. So God used the office, even though the man was a rascal. Yeah, how often we see that today. Exactly. Yeah. And then out of the Old Testament, uh, the Bible speaks and re- makes reference to Janus and Jambres mm-hmm. and how they withstood Moses. 
So we can see the Janus and Jambres, the Judas in the New Testament. Uh, we, we can see the anointed ones and the anointed ones at the end time. The one thing that we have today is a proliferation of those who claim to be anointed. And as, as Brother William Branham said to me, they will not say, I'm Jesus, but they will say, I'm anointed. And uh, scripture tells us that in the last days, and this to me clinches it, many false Christs shall arise, and they're going to be successful, and shall deceive many. Some are worried about, you know, a false prophet. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not worried about the one. I'm worried about the many. Mm -hmm. And when God promised in his word, as you had spoken in your introduction, that God would send uh, an Elijah ministry, a prophet with the word of God in his mouth, I can say, Brother Lonnie, if there ever was a day when that was needed, it was in our time. Would you mind, uh, Brother Ed, elaborating a little bit on Christ? Because when we say false Christ, many people think false Jesuses. Would you mind expanding on that just a little bit? Well, not a false Jesus, but because the, there isn't anyone that would want to say, I am Jesus or I am, I am Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But the, the term Christ in association with Jesus Christ is that he was the anointed Messiah. Mm -hmm. And then we know that we are anointed. Mm -hmm. We become anointed because the, the Spirit of God does anoint us. But uh, it, when, when the people came and Jesus said this, many will come to me in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Mm -hmm. Did we not do many mighty works mm -hmm. in your name? And Jesus didn't deny that they did. He didn't say, you did not. He said, I never knew you. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the fact that they uh, had done many wonderful works, which they had, and they had indeed been anointed, but, and they, they could say, we are anointed, and that is false Christ, as Jesus termed it. Viewers, you may recall in the scripture that it says that as Janus and Jamboree's withstood Moses, so will these of reprobate mind, reprobate concerning the word, anointed to power, but not anointed to the word. So will these in the last days, they're going to confuse the whole issue. So now again, you're catching some of these mysteries that we've been told you about that are to be revealed at the time of the end. And we'll continue on this. And it's very good to be with you. We thank you so very much for viewing and we're going to come back and continue this subject. Bye for now. Request a copy of today's program on DVD titled An Eyewitness or Ed Biskell's Complete Testimony also on DVD. Write to us at Global Answers, 1695 Stewart Road, Lima, Ohio, zip code 45801 here in the USA. Or visit us on the web at globalanswers.us. Please be sure to include the DVD titles when you make your request. May our Lord Jesus Christ richly